Well, good evening, Foothill Family Church. Welcome back to Healing School. I want to encourage you guys tonight to go ahead and hit that share button or start a watch party. But also, wherever you're watching at tonight, would you just treat worship as if you're here with us? Whether that means you need to stand, whatever you guys want to do at home, but just encourage you to enter into worship tonight as we praise our Heavenly Father. We know we will see the 
victory come we hold on to every promise you've ever made jesus you are unfailing because this we know we will see the enemy run this we know we will see the victory come we hold on to every promise you've ever made jesus you are unfailing oh jesus you are unfailing oh jesus you As I come into your presence, past the gates of praise, into your sanctuary, where we're standing face to face. I look upon your countenance, see the fullness of your grace. I can only bow down and say, you are awesome in place mighty God you are awesome in this place Abba Father you are worthy of all praise to you our lives we raise you are awesome in this place mighty God as I come into your presence and pass the gates of praise into your sanctuary where we're standing face to face I look upon your countenance see the fullness of your grace and I can only bow down and say you are awesome in place mighty God you are awesome in this place Abba Father you are worthy of all praise to you our lives we raise you are awesome in this place mighty God you are Awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place, Abba Father. You are worthy of all praise. To you our lives we raise. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. We praise you, Father. Father, we thank you for this night, for this time of worship, for this time together. Thank you that you are here amongst us, moving in this place and every home represented here across the world. We love you so much, Father God. 
We have ears to hear. We are expecting tonight, Father. Speak and move tonight. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good evening, everyone. Let's start in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 tells us the story of when Cornelius, who was a Gentile, prayed unto God. He was offering sacrifices and giving alms to the Lord, as the Scripture says he normally did. And an angel appeared to Cornelius. And told him to send forth into the city of Joppa for a man named Peter. He told him where he would be. And he said, he will come and tell you words whereby you may be saved. And so Peter, having had the vision, you may recall the story, how that he saw a vision where it was as if a great sheet was let down before him. And in this sheet were all kinds of beasts, both clean and unclean. And in the vision, the Lord spoke to him and said, Rise, slay, and eat. And Peter resisted. He said, Not so, Lord. He's used to keeping the law of Moses. And so he resists that. But anyway, through a series of supernatural events, he winds up the next day going to Cornelius' house. He hears the story from Cornelius about the angel appearing to him. Peter recognizing that he's in the home of a Gentile and there were Gentile family members and, and, uh, and others, friends perhaps, the house was full. He then recognizes that the vision he saw with the clean and unclean animals that was let down from heaven had to do with people. In other words, even though he's been biased and prejudiced against Gentiles all of his life, the Lord reveals to him in this one vision that God considers everybody the same. And therefore, Jesus was sent not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. So Peter, hearing these things at Cornelius' house, begins to tell them about Jesus. Now, it's interesting, the Bible says that Peter preached a 10-verse sermon. And then the Holy Ghost fell on all of them that were gathered there in the house just as the day of Pentecost when the disciples were in the upper room. It doesn't take much when you find hungry hearts. But one of the things, and you can read, like I said, it's just 10 verses of Scripture. You can read Peter's sermon to Cornelius in his household. And it's a summary, by and large, it's a summary of Jesus' ministry on the earth. I want to pick out one verse of Scripture out of these 10 that Peter preached as a part of his sermon in verse 38 Peter said as he was impressed of the Holy Ghost how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him now Acts chapter 10 is estimated to be about 10 years after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Ghost was poured out. So in 10 years, Peter has primarily been the, the leading figure in the, the church at Jerusalem. He served as the pastor. Now, he doesn't always serve as the pastor. In Acts chapter 15, it tells us about how that 
when the, the council at Jerusalem was held and they made decisions about what would they require of the Gentiles. Should they keep the law of Moses? Should they keep ritual sacrifices and so forth? Well, at that time, James is the pastor. And this is James, not the brother of John, that was one of the 12. But this James is the one that wrote the book, the New Testament letter that bears his name. He was a half-brother of Jesus. And so Peter, at this time in Acts chapter 10, after 10 years, Peter has just come to understand that God is no respecter of persons when it comes to the Gentiles. He's just come to understand within 24 hours about God's plan to send Jesus and the reason that he sent Jesus was not just for the Jews to be saved but for the world to be saved. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. There was a man named John Alexander Dowie. He was born in Scotland believed that he had a call of ministry on his life. And so as he was pursuing the Lord and the ministry work that he had for him to do, he wound up being a pastor in Australia. He was a young man, late 30s, early 40s perhaps. And he was there, or while, during the time he was there pastoring in Australia, there was a very severe plague that came through the, the region of the country that he was. And he had seen 40 of his people, his church people, his congregation, die as a result of this plague. Well, he was distraught, as you could well understand. And so he cried out unto God. He had just come from the hospital, and the plague was so great, they were having to put up makeshift hospitals and tents and things like that to try to care for the people. The hospital beds were full, so they were coming up with alternative means for treating the people and he had just come back from one of these makeshift hospitals where he watched another one of his church congregation die and as he returned home you could understand the despair that he would have felt and experienced and so he cried out to God and he simply said this he said God is all of my church going to die and as quick as a flash instantly the Lord quickened to him Acts 10 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Immediately, his eyes were opened to the truth of that scripture and all of his questions were answered. He was operating prior to this revelation in the spirit of the world, the spirit or the, the understanding that most of the church world had at that time and may have even at this time. They didn't know if God was behind this. They didn't know if God was doing this, talking about the plague and all the people dying. They had no explanation for why these things were happening. If God was behind it and if God was punishing the people of his church along with the others in the region of the world that were affected by this plague, what were they to do to stop it? Or were they supposed to stop it? Well, Dowie understood that it was not a good thing for his church members to be dying no matter what was behind it or what was the cause. But he didn't know the cause. He really didn't know if God had a hand in this or God was doing this or not. The Bible says 
I believe it's Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Forty members of his church congregation had perished because of a lack of knowledge. Now, certainly they, the people that contracted the disease and died, certainly they had imperfect knowledge about these things, who was doing what and what the help there was of God for them. But Dawi was in the same situation. He didn't know either. Well, if the pastor doesn't know something, he sure can't teach it and impart it to his people. And so his ignorance was also a hindrance to the people of his church living out their length of days as the Bible promised. So Dawi saw it. By the revelation of the Holy Ghost, the quickening of the Holy Ghost, Dawi saw it in a flash. Sickness was satanic oppression. Healing was good and healing was always of God. From that moment, he exercised authority, knowing very little about exercising authority or what to do or how to do it. He simply prayed and said, I refuse to allow another member of my church to die from this plague. And they didn't. The ones of his church that had already contracted the, the, the plague, the disease, recovered and went back to their normal lives and nobody else, no new members of his congregation contracted this evil work of the devil. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. John Alexander Dowie wound up coming back to the States establishing a church outside of Chicago in a place called Zion, Illinois, and God used him in a tremendous, tremendous miracle ministry. The pictures of some of the sanctuaries that Dowie had constructed for his church to worship in and, and congregate showed all along the walls crutches and braces and even wheelchairs. Things that were left over from people that came to the church were ministered to by the Holy Ghost, received their healing, and left these crutches and, and other elements, implements, behind. There was another man that came through Zion, Illinois, as a young man, and he wasn't, hasn't stepped into the, the completeness of the work that God had for him to do. But he had a heart toward God, and that man's name was John G. Lake. Now, Lake, some years later, wound up going to South Africa and establishing a tremendous work there that's still in effect today, still under the churches that he started are still standing today. Now, Lake was somebody that had found out, and partly through Dowie's ministry as well, Lake had discovered the power of God that was inherent in the Word of God. He found that God would honor his Word with signs following. And even though he was just starting off in ministry, there were many things that he had through meditating in the word, put in his heart and filled his heart with because of the great work that God would have for him down the road. When he was in South Africa, 
shortly after he arrived in South Africa, really before he built any of the, the organization that stands today, there was a similar situation as with Dowie. It was a different plague, different disease, but still it was a national emergency. And it was something that was so severe that the report of it was that once people contracted this disease, this plague, this sickness, there was no recovery. Well, Lake went to help with the hospitals. And again, they had tents and makeshift hospitals that were set up because the hospitals were full. The physical structures were full. And the Australian government, I'm sorry, the South African government had requested and petitioned the United States for help. And so the Army Medical Corps dispatched certain doctors and nurses and medical assistants to South Africa to help with this terrible disease that was just ravaging the country. Well, after the American doctors were there for a while, they saw that John Lake was always there, always ready to help. He seemed to be tireless in his efforts to render aid to the people that had fallen under the power of this disease. And the medical doctors from America took note that he never got sick. They took note that he didn't seem to be affected by this disease in any way whatsoever. You would well understand that the medical teams were taking great care to protect themselves from in, uh, infection and so forth. But they noticed that Lake didn't perform some of the same rituals to protect them himself from the disease that the other medical staff was undergoing. And so they asked him. They said, what is it about you that makes you immune to this disease? Are you taking something? Of course, they're looking for a cure. They're looking for some vaccine or some fix that will stay the plague. And so perhaps they thought if Lake had found something they didn't know, then they could use it as well. But Lake simply answered them. He said, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. Well, they didn't understand that. It didn't make sense to them. And so John Lake said, well, here, I'll show you. Now, when people would die from this plague, there would be some kind of frothy foam-type stuff that would, ex that would exude from their lips upon their expiration. And so he took a microscope slide and wiped some of this from the person's mouth that had just recently died just within the last several minutes perhaps and so he had them put it under a microscope and they could see they could see the this sample just teeming with germs and bacteria and this plague virus or whatever it was and then he took it in their presence he took that slide and then wiped it into his hand let it sit there for a second or two and then he put it back on the slide, gave them the slide, that, and they put it back under the microscope, and every one of those teeming germs and bacteria and virus, whatever it was that was behind this, 
was dormant. They had all died in John Lake's hand. Now with Peter and Acts 10.38, identifying for us, as I said, it's really a summary. He didn't go into great detail about the things that he had witnessed while he was with Jesus here on the earth. He just summarized Jesus' ministry, and a part of that summary had to do with the healing work of God. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. I wonder how much of the church world is operating under the same false beliefs that Dowie was before he found the truth. I would imagine it would be the majority of the church world today. I don't have any figures or any way to document it. But with Dowie, after he found the truth of the word and received it, he didn't love God anymore after he saw the truth than before he saw the truth. It didn't change his heart toward God as far as committing his life to them. It certainly did change his heart as far as appreciation for God through his provision and healing abilities. But it was simply something that he came to the knowledge of that he didn't have before. I see situations like that in the scripture and it makes me shake my head and wonder what people could be thinking. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here's an example over in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 16 it says, And he came to Nazareth, talking about Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, let me tell you something that I've been told. I, I really don't know how to verify it. But it's a possibility at the very least. And so I submit it for your consideration. And that is just as the Jews have at the Passover meal a place set for Elijah. They know that the Bible says that Elijah will come before the Messiah does. And so at the Passover meal they have a place set according to their tradition for Elijah to sit. It's a subtle way of them looking during the Passover feast to look for the Messiah. Well, in a similar manner, the synagogues have a place for Elijah to sit. I'm sorry, it's not for Elijah to sit, but for the Messiah to sit or be seated. And obviously, it's a seat that's never taken, it's never used. But here where it says Jesus sat down, it is reported that Jesus sat down in the Messiah's seat and then said to them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And I'll bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. 
Now, I know I didn't finish the verse of Scripture, but let me talk to you about this for a moment. Jesus identifies himself from the Scriptures that he reads in verses 18 and 19. We know that is a portion of Scripture from Isaiah 61. And no Bible scholar would argue that those Scriptures are spoken of concerning the Messiah. So when Jesus said, this day are these scriptures fulfilled in your ears, whether he sat in the, the Messiah's seat in the synagogue or he just let the, the words that he re read to the people stand for themselves, stand alone by themselves, either way, he's identifying himself clearly as the Messiah. And they recognize that he's speaking to them in a way that no man has ever spoken. They wondered his gracious words, but then they go a little bit too far. Then they ask the question, is not this Joseph's son? Well, technically, he wasn't Joseph's son. Technically, he was God's son. Mary was his mother, but the Holy Ghost was his father because the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, and she came forth with child. So here's something that they think they know. Just as John Alexander Dowie, for many years in ministry before this plague took place and his eyes were open to the truth, for many years, he thought he knew that God used sickness and disease to teach people things. He thought he knew that God executed judgment on the earth during the church age just as the same way, in the same way that he did under Old Testament times. He thought he knew this. It became a part of his doctrine. It became a part of his ministry life. But it was wrong. In the same way, the people in Nazareth hold fast to what they thought they knew. And through their ignorance were robbed of the great blessing of God that Jesus came to provide for them. So they said, is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. So he's already been to Capernaum. He's already performed signs and wonders and miracles in Capernaum. He knows that they've heard of these things. That's probably why they're gathered around in the synagogue on the day that they know that he's going to be there. And he knows that their question, what they think they know about him, through his past dealings with them, his experience growing up in Nazareth. They think they knew something about him that would disqualify him from being the Messiah. So Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the proverb, physician, heal thyself. In other words, he's saying, I know that you're thinking if I'll only do a miracle to prove something to you, then you'll believe. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city 
and led him into the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Jesus knew that their unbelief would hinder and stop him from doing anything and everything that God had anointed him to do. Remember Peter's summary in Acts 10.38 again, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus was there in his own hometown of Nazareth to do the same kind of works that he had done that they had heard of him doing in Capernaum. Now in Mark chapter 6, Mark leaves out some of the details that Luke gave us, but then he wraps things up in a way that is important for us to recognize. Let's back up to verse 2. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now I want you to notice what they knew. They recognized that Jesus was speaking to them unlike anybody that had ever spoken to them before. He knew that he was, they knew that he was teaching them and sharing with them words that were way beyond the rabbi or the leader of the, the, leader of the synagogue in Nazareth or anywhere else for that matter. They knew they had evidence. And the evidence that they had was the words that he spoke. They recognized that these were words that normal men don't speak. They recognized that these words carried wisdom that far exceeded or far excelled anybody's wisdom that they had ever seen and known. They recognized the evidence of the word, but they didn't allow that to be enough to convince them. They rejected the truth and the wisdom that they heard Jesus speak. And they even knew that the words had something to do with the works. They said, we've never heard anybody that speaks with this kind of wisdom and does the mighty works that they've heard about him doing in Capernaum. They recognized the connection between his words and his works. But they wouldn't allow themselves to be convinced by the word. Jesus said on many occasions, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father in me gives me the words to say. So the words they're hearing were the very words of the Holy Ghost given by the Holy Ghost to identify who Jesus was and what Jesus' purpose on the earth was all about. From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, why were they offended at him? They were offended at Jesus because they refused to believe the words that he spoke. They didn't want to have to decide, do we believe this or not? And folks, there's a lot of people in the church world that are operating the same way. They don't want the responsibility to believe. They don't want to have to take the word of God at face value and make a decision concerning who Jesus is and whether or not the word of God is true. 
But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but is in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Now notice verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. Now the mighty works that he did that they had heard about were done in Capernaum. So it can't be a situation where he doesn't have power. He's already preached, according to Luke 8, 4, 18, he's already preached to them that he's anointed of God to heal, to deliver, to bring sight to the blind, and so forth. He's already announced to them, here's what God sent me to do. I would assume that those would be on par with the same mighty works that are described in Capernaum that he did in Capernaum. The same words are used to describe these works. But it says, and he could there do no mighty work. Notice it doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. He was unable. He was unable to do any mighty work. Save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. This word sick is the word sickly. It means people with minor ailments. He didn't have any blind eyes open. He didn't have any uh, lepers cleansed. He didn't have any lame people that walked. He was able to lay hands on folks with a cold or a headache or something minor like that and help them. But because of the unbelief of the people, the unbelief of the city, because they thought they knew something and what they thought they knew turned out to be not true. Jesus could there do no mighty work. Notice verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Why did they refuse to believe? Why didn't they just simply say, you know, Jesus, we think we know something about your family. We grew up with you. Now, put yourself in their position, folks. I have no doubt that they think that they have done some great work because they, and maybe only they, were smart enough to figure out that Jesus was the son of Joseph and Mary. And if he was the son of Joseph and Mary, he couldn't be the Messiah. He couldn't be the Christ. I have no doubt that they pat themselves on the back vigorously to say everybody else may be taken in by this guy, but we know better. But what they thought they knew turned out to be the one hindrance that kept the power of God from enriching their lives. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Choose to believe. Even if there are things that you don't understand, and there will always be things you don't understand. Even if you don't know how, even if you don't know the way that things are going to happen, even if things don't seem to be going the way that you think they should, choose to believe. It's just as easy to believe God's word as to disbelieve it. It's just as easy to operate in faith as it is to operate in unbelief. Choose to believe. They could have done that. The people in his own hometown of Nazareth could certainly have done that. They could have chosen to believe. They could have chosen to set aside their reasoning. Well, we know this is Joseph and Mary's son, and we don't understand how that fits. But on the other hand, we know for sure what he's done in Capernaum. So let's just set what we think we know off to the side and let him do what he says he was sent to do. That would have enriched the city of Nazareth like nothing else 
throughout the history of mankind could have. Choose to believe. Choose to believe. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, the curse of the law is identified in Deuteronomy chapter 28 as being spiritual death, poverty, and sickness and disease. In fact, Deuteronomy 28 identifies 11 specific sicknesses or diseases that we're redeemed from. They were the killer diseases of their day. But then it goes further in verse 61, Deuteronomy 28 verse 61 and says also every sickness and every disease not mentioned in this book of the law. That's a part of the curse of the law too. Every sickness, every disease is a part of the curse of the law. And Christ has redeemed us from that curse of the law. So that means Christ has redeemed us from every sickness and every disease. Now folks, that may seem far-fetched to some. But I'm going to give you the advice I would given, have given to Nazareth. Set aside what you think you know and just choose to believe. Set aside what you think is a reason why healing might not be yours. Set that aside and just believe what the Word says. You can. We can all take that step of faith, no matter what we think we know. And I've had so many conversations and discussions with people. They want me to pray for their healing. They'll come to healing school and want me to pray for their healing. And then come up with a bunch of reasons why they don't think it's going to work. They'll tell me about some family member that prayed and didn't receive. Well, I don't doubt that that's true. I don't doubt that that really happened, that that's part of their life experience. But why not choose to set that aside and believe what God said? God's word cannot lie because God can't lie. So why not set those things aside and accept what the Bible says which is Christ has redeemed us from every sickness and every disease. Every sickness and every disease. Every sickness and every disease. Now, if Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, and the curse of the law includes sickness along with poverty and spiritual death, and those things are facts. Since that's the way that it is, since we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, we know that Jesus had to have been operating according to the will of God because if he wasn't operating according to the will of God in healing the sick or in any other manner, then that would make him a sinner. So in every case, in every situation, Jesus delivered those that were held by sickness and disease. Jesus released people and delivered them when they were held in bondage of the devil. Every one of those cases, every one of those people that Jesus ministered healing and health to, it had to be the will of God for them to be well. Otherwise, Jesus would have been operating contrary to the Father's will. So there was not one person that came to Jesus. Of all the multitudes, the individual cases of healing that we have record of in the four Gospels, but then also the multitudes, which who knows what those number. Of all those people, there was not one found where Jesus said by the will of God that God wants you to remain sick. Not one. Choose to believe. 
Choose to accept what the Word of God says. Choose to confess boldly that the Word of God, according to the Word of God, you've been redeemed from the curse of sickness. Choose to speak it. Say it out loud so that you can hear it and say it again and again and again and again and again to build it into your inner consciousness. Choose to believe what the Word says. Choose to speak what God's Word has declared. There'll be a lot of things that we won't know until after the fact. There'll be a lot of things that make more sense to us down the road than they do today. But irrespective of all of that, we still have the ability to choose to believe. I don't know about you folks, but I'm going to choose to believe God's Word. I'm going to hold on to the Word of God no matter what it looks like or how long it looks like it. I'm going to stand and speak God's Word because I believe God's Word is the power of God to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. Thank God His Word is His power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great plan of redemption. We thank you so much that Jesus fulfilled your plan of redemption. He earned for us freedom from spiritual death, from poverty, and from every sickness and every disease. Father, we magnify your holy name. Jesus, we worship you. We exalt you as our Lord and Savior. We exalt you as the Prince of our redemption. And we choose to believe. We choose to believe that you took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with your stripes we are healed. We choose to believe that no weapon formed against us shall prosper because our righteousness is of you. We choose to believe that we've been made more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We choose to believe that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, because we believe these things to be true, we speak and declare that we are the healed of God. We declare no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We declare no plague shall come nigh our dwelling. We declare that every virus, every bacteria, every germ, every disease, every sickness that comes in contact with our bodies dies instantly because of the life of God in us. We choose to believe, Father, and we thank you that your word is true. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being with us. Hope to see you Wednesday night as well.